Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Welcome into Coffee with Coaches presented by Quick Timeout Podcast. Uh, we've been extremely fortunate here over the last few months to have some really incredible guests, and I'm confident the streak will continue today. No pressure with that, Coach. Hope so. <laughs> but Steve D'Agostino joins us today. Coach, welcome. Thanks for having me. I like at the beginning to have the guests kind of just quickly introduce themselves. So if you could kind of maybe give like a 45 second basketball bio, how would that read? Yeah. So um, I'm from upstate New York. I played college basketball division two at the college of St. Rose was a two time all American there played six years professionally in Europe, um, Iceland, England, Hungary, uh, Spain, and Italy. And then um, I started while I was playing overseas, I started my training company, started doing small groups that turned into big camps, it turned into, team training um, and now we do everything from small kids all the way up to uh, NBA players. You know your experience with having played overseas having coached for USA basketball we can maybe talk about that a little bit yeah. but then also just coupling that with the day-to-day -day training that you do I, I wanted to kind of level up our player development talk a little bit to maybe discuss some things that either are overlooked or maybe things that a lot of player development coaches just don't know about. And so I'll just start with this. I saw on Twitter, you recently said something that you're kind of studying the footwork and the balance yeah. to go into being a great player, maybe a great shooter. I don't know what you're referring to exactly with that, but mm -hmm. I mentioned both those things and maybe coaches that are listening, they're like, that's not like next level. Everybody knows that. Yeah. And I would argue that both of those topics are things that we talk a lot about, but maybe either we don't teach or people just don't know how to teach it very well. I don't know if you agree with that, but can you kind of talk about those two things and why those have been important for you here recently? Absolutely. So I've been doing this for 10 years and, and my experience has been a little different, right? So I don't have a specific team that I work with. I don't have a specific level that I work with. Like, you know, today, for example, I, I did uh, pre-draft workouts with Elijah Hughes this morning, and then I'll go and I'll work with, you know, seventh graders all the way up through varsity and college guys. So, um, you know, there's a wide range. And what I've gotten really, really good at, and the USA basketball stuff has helped me. I work with a guy there, Phil Beckner, who's Damian Lillard's trainer. And, you know, I'm trying to soak up as much from him as, as possible. And he's really big on footwork and balance is a lot of coaches and trainers know a lot of stuff, but it's can the player execute it. So for example, with our pre-draft stuff with Elijah Hughes, his, he's a very good scorer. His shot can become even better if he's really focused on his footwork, on his balance. Now, I know if you asked him, he would know every single level of everything, but can he execute it on every single shot that he takes in a game? And that's where that kind of comes into play. So, I mean, I've been doing a ton of our, our footwork shooting and balance shooting with all levels of players, and it's literally the same exact thing. We may tweak one or two. We may tweak, like, the distance. But it's literally the same thing. And I, I firmly believe this. I'm becoming, you know, such a big believer in these guys that are high level players. 
if they can become really, really good at the little things, that's what's going to take them from here to here. Yeah, if they add a through-the-leg step back three, great. That's going to help them out in cer- certain situations. But they'll be able to do that on their own when they're watching YouTube clips or watching Devin Booker and, hey, I want to add that to, to my game. But they can't add that if they don't already have the footwork and the balance in their game. So that's kind of where that all came from. How do you teach that? I mean, is that something that you just communicate to them? Is it something that you show on film? How, what does that look like actually in the, in the session? It's a combination. It's film. It's showing really, really good players and really good shooters doing it on every single shot. And then it's isolation breakdown. So it's here's our last two steps into our jump shot. Here's the movement. Uh, We're going to break down that movement so that you can stay balanced. And we're going to push like for our one, two shots, right? I know that Elijah can do one, two, but we're going to make him jump further out. So we're really pushing his balance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, we progress it into... Uh, maybe he's running into that balance and then he's doing it against the defender. So it literally starts with just an isolation breakdown where you're focused on the last two steps and then getting into your shot from there. Are you a believer that shoulders up is most important, waist down is most important, all equivalent? And then how, again, do you communicate that to your players so that they are able to understand what you're talking about? And then maybe to get that because I'm sure you would say it's about the repetitions, right? About doing that repeatedly so that you make sure that those things are all congruent in the shot. Yeah. So what's cool about what I do is I've had the chance, again, working with all skill levels and and players of different ages is it's different for everybody. So I know there's a lot of coaches and trainers that are like so fixed because they've worked with a certain type of player for their whole career that like, Hey, this is what I believe in. And really I've seen everything. I've seen players where it's the upper half of their body, where it's the lower half of the body, where it's merging the two. So what's helped me is, is being able to see the signs, right. And saying like, Hey, you know, this guy's got a lower body issue. This guy's got a, you know, an upper body issue. This guy just can't flow from one thing to the next. So I try to stay away from like absolutes and I try and look at everything holistically and and try and break it down and say, okay, here's where there's a breakdown and here's where we can improve. So kind of moving from the balance shooting, now moving a little bit more into the actually the the workouts and what those look like. And so let me talk about the balance of skill development. When I talk about that, I'm talking about maybe the idea of getting each player a lot of reps, yep. dribbling moves on air, whatever. Yep. Um, and then the, compon- the, the co- component of competition, whether that's yep. one-on-one, two-on-two, how do you balance those? And maybe even the age groups. We were talking before we got on here about yeah. – Maybe you're working with the, the younger kids or maybe you're working with the, the more advanced kids. Like what 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 do those look like in those different groups or do they all look the same? Um, it shifts. So I'm very I've been a huge three on three guy since I started. You know, obviously, when I was playing overseas, it was huge over there. And we did a lot of that within our practices in college and professionally. So, you know, I kind of transferred that over here when we started to do our workouts. So um, we do have a competitive component to everything that we do. Uh, I think that again, with certain guys, especially if you're working on a one-on-one basis, or maybe there's two or three people in a group, like we have guys that they absolutely need the reps to be able to have the footwork and understanding to do something. And then there's other guys where they just learn better when they're live. So just setting them up in like advantage drills or setting them up into live drills where like we have a kid who's in, uh, he's at a big E school now and He's never been a great shooter, but he's a freak athlete. So, you know, we would do shooting drills and he'd be, he'd be good. He'd be solid. 
but he never got the chance in games to just let loose and like, yo, if you're open, shoot it because it wasn't always his best shot. He could drive, he could get out and transition. So, you know, like for someone like him, instead of doing a million shooting drills, we would warm up, we'd get his balance shooting, we'd get his form shooting, we'd get him some, some game reps, and then we'd play three on three. And all I would say is like, every time you're open, shoot the basketball mm-hmm. and give him the freedom to, you know, miss shots and then come back and take another shot. So we've always had that competitive component. I, again, I don't think there's one way that's, that is the end all be all, but I think if you're if you're not adding something competitive into your skill sessions, then it's going to be harder for the kids to translate that into the game. I've heard you talk about the three on three and specifically the FIBA three on three. That's something that I started using this last summer and the guys really, they loved it. They loved it. But if by chance there's someone who's listening to this or watching this, who doesn't know what that is, could you kind of explain that and what the advantages are of using a drill like that? Absolutely. So FIBA three on three is just like normal three on three. Let's just say you start, you check the ball up at the top of the key. We play it winners out. So you're, you're playing normal three on three on a miss. You clear it out behind the three point line. On a make, though, the defense doesn't touch it. The offense grabs the rebound and has to clear it outside the three-point line as if it was a miss, so it's a nonstop drill. Normal FIBA three-on-three, it's it's losers' outs, but I like to reward the winners, so we always play at winners' outs. Um, mm-hmm. And what's good about it is it mirrors five-on-five. So, for example, you know, transition would be I make a shot, now I have to transition from guarding in the paint to now guarding on the perimeter, or on a miss shot, you transition from offense to defense. And so all that does is enhance communication because if you don't have good communication, um, you're not going to be able to adapt. It makes the game fast paced. The players get more shots. They get more touches. And what we like to do with it um, is one, sometimes we give them the freedom and say, hey, set up however you want. But more recently, what I've been doing is I've been setting players up in actions. So again, instead of going through just like dry reps where we'll rep out like wide pin downs, um, I'll take our varsity guys and our better college players and say, all right, here's wide pin down. Here's what you're looking to do. You know, screener, you're hitting or you're slipping. And when you're coming off the screen, you're doing X, Y, and Z. And we start out of that. So they're getting that wrap up initially. And then they're playing free, uh, freely from there. And what's cool about that is you'll see whatever your initial action is you'll see the players when they start to get it, they'll find that action within the flow of the FIBA three on three. So, you know, again, I've learned too over the years, it's like I can make a workout look really, really good by telling the players what to do every single time. But I've gotten a lot better at like, hey, this workout may look ugly for 15 minutes because I'm going to let these players figure it out and I'm not going to say a word. And, you know, that's hard, especially when there's parents watching and, and things like that. And obviously you want, uh, you want the thing, everything to go smoothly, but that's where they learn the most. They learn by figuring it out themselves. So, you know, that's obviously a huge component of three-on-three and what makes it great. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you'll get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com assist. That's huddle.com assist to learn more. 
I think more coaches are using that where they're putting them in the places of where they're maybe in their offense or whatever. So, but maybe for a younger coach who, who doesn't really know what we're talking about, we're not talking about just, you know, point wing, wing, check it up. Yo, let's play three on right. three. Right. It, and, and what I found is exactly what you said. They start seeing that in the five on five because they've gotten so many reps in that in the three on three. So now yep. we're talking about that competitive piece. And so let me go ahead and kind of move over to that. That's, yep. that's one way to make things more competitive but practical ideas for how to make your workouts more competitive. I was just, you know, I, I teach a class uh, to some graduate students. It's a coaching, the theories, coaching basketball class. And one of their assignments is putting together a workout. And one of the things that I noticed for coaches who don't really do a lot of this, they put in things that are developing skills, but that competitive piece is missing. And I think that what I'm seeing long term is coaches are complaining about their players not being competitive enough. And we place the blame on the players. But in actuality, it's probably our fault because we're not really introducing it very much or frequently in the workouts. So how can we be better about making our our practices or their drills or whatever they are more competitive? Yeah, I think that there's a couple components to this. Number one would be when you're putting your drills together. Like, what is the, what is the main purpose? What are you trying to get out of that drill? So, so work it backwards. So is it the competitiveness that you want, or is it the teaching and the understanding that you want? So if it's the teaching and understanding, you put the competitiveness on the back burner, right? Um, but if it's something that, you know, you, you feel like your players have a good grasp of and an understanding of, and you want the competitive part, then it's up to you to make it competitive, whether that's a shooting drill that you want to put a score on, make it head to head, make it teams, whatever it may be. Um, I, I personally feel that, especially in a practice where there's, there's a ton of opportunities to be competitive that almost, I mean, I don't want to put a number on it, but probably 75% of your practice should be competitive, right? You're teaching quick. They're understanding it. Now you're moving. Everything is competitive. You're playing to a score. You're getting a winner, a loser, and there's a punishment from there. So I think that's number one. The other thing that I, I struggle with, and I still struggle with this 10 years in, is the balance of um, the balance of trying, what do I want to fit into a workout? So for me, I want to fit everything in. And the reality is you can't fit everything in. So you may not have a balance of uh, teaching and competitiveness within one practice, but if you look at it and you're with the same group over four practices, that whole first practice may be understanding and teaching, right? And then you move to the second one and it's half and half. And then the third one is half and half. And then by the time you get to the fourth one, you're all competitive because they have a clear understanding of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and then you're, you, you can go competitive for there. So I don't even think that it's necessarily like just on a per workout basis, but I think you got to look at the whole picture um, as well. Do you plan out four, five, six practices where you're working on things? Because I know sometimes coaches will just come to the gym and be like, ah, oh, you know, let's work on these six things today. And they're kind of random. Yeah. And that could probably be detrimental to the players understanding how everything works together. Do you plan those things out? And maybe how far in advance do you plan that out? Yeah. So, so I don't like to plan too far in advance. I'll go one, two, three workouts. Sometimes like, so for our middle school and high school groups, they sign up by the month. So we'll be with them for four weeks at a time. So I'll, I'll plan out like the first two or three workouts and then I'll adjust on the fly. You know, I, when I first started, I, I would write out every single workout and here's what I want to do. And you get in the middle of the workout and you're like, wait a second, I need to go back and, and they're not getting this. I need to 
you know, touch on this again, whatever it may be. So um, I'll go one or two workouts, but then I'll keep that process in mind, right? So like if they're not getting to everything that we want to teach, instead of teaching four things, I'll cut it to two. And then we'll just rock out with those two things for the next four weeks. Mm-hmm. With our MBA guys and our college guys, like we have a vision and we're not deviating from that vision. So it's like, you know, here's the two things that you're working on in the off season, because this is what's going to make you um, a better player. This is what's going to maximize your potential. And so, you know, there's, it goes like this, right. Where you're adjusting, but we're not deviating from those two things. Yeah. So I asked this question to most of my guests and it's not because I can't come up with other questions. It's because I want to hear what every coach does to get additional ideas, decision-making, how do you teach it? And what kinds of things do you do to make it game-like, but then also maybe not to overwhelm the players? Yeah. So for decision-making, I like to keep it at one or two options. So we'll rep it with usually with advantages. Um, So obviously the offense starts with an advantage. So you're building in, they have to make an actual decision. And so like there's levels to this. And again, going back to like me making the workout great, like, okay, I can set a player up in a drive and kick advantage where he's got his defender on his hip. He drives, defense helps. He's got to make a decision. Right. And you know, that's not the end goal. The end goal isn't for them to be able to make the decision. The end goal is for them to be able to get to that situation in a game and then to make the decision. So like I've been, I've been trying to get better at like not spending so much time on the advantage part of like, okay, once they, once they understand the decision they have to make and they show that they can make that decision, then we'll play FIBA three on three where it's like, it is, top wing wing and it's and you tell the guys like hey we want driving kicks and and let's see how you do so then they're finding it within the flow of the game and then they're making decision because again that's the end goal this next thing i've had happen to me before in a workout and i wanted to get your opinion on it you have a player that comes it starts off poorly maybe they've had a bad day or maybe they're just not, they're not doing well. They're just not making shots. I'm I'm sure there's more that goes into it than just not making shots, but they're not making shots. And it goes from being a bad workout to a worse workout. And it just kind of like starts to spiral. Do you just tell them to stop or what, what, how do you, how do you change that? Yeah. It's one thing if it happens, if it, if it, if you've gone 30 minutes and you're planning to go only 35, it's another thing if you've gone 15 and you're planning on going 45 minutes. Yeah. I think, I think it depends on the age group because I think the older you are, the more able to bounce back you are. Right. So, so like the younger kids, man, I haven't seen too many kids that can start off and like not be into it and not make shots and they're losing their mind that they can all of a sudden flip a switch and they're good. Um, But it is a learning point for them. So like, to me, I, I truly believe this and I express this to our players. Like those are my favorite workouts. Good. Yo, give me, Give me a workout where everything's going great. What are you learning from that? Okay, you had a great workout, but the the purpose isn't to have a great workout. The purpose is to just keep developing. So when you have a terrible workout, uh, being able to come back the next day and have a great workout, but more importantly, like you have a first 30 minutes that are terrible, I tell these guys like, you know, these are my favorite because we're going to learn for the next 30 minutes whether you have the ability to adapt or if you have a bad first quarter, I just shouldn't play you anymore because you can't bounce back, right? So those are all things that go into it's not just basketball right it's the mental side um it's the focus side what players can just move past not making shots and and it's really not making it's not not making shots it's it's not being focused not having the energy not coming in prepared to work 
that's why you miss shots, you know? So um, the, I love those workouts personally. And, and we just challenge our players and, and we tell them what it is. Like the first 30 minutes are terrible, but that doesn't mean the next 30 minutes have to be terrible. And if you want to be a really good player, um, show me that you can bounce back from that. That's good. I like to kind of leave listeners with some easy to remember steps or action points. So related to this topic of training players in your mind, every workout should include what elements? Shot making. So it's great to do ball handling and obviously everybody needs ball handling, but we do most of our ball handling into finishes. We do most of our ball handling into shooting, um, you know, just to spend 30 minutes on ball handling and not put the ball in the basket to me is, is, you know, shot making is a commodity. Now you, you need your players to make shots. So yes, they need the ball handling, but there's also a way to do it without, uh, with also putting the ball in the hoop. I'll follow up with that, with the shooting component. Let's say your high school players, even up to the kind of the higher level players that maybe are getting ready for the draft. How much of that do you work catch and shoot off the dribble? Um, you know, even mid range jump shot. I know all the analytics people hate it, but the fact of the matter is if you can make it at the pro level, you make you get two more points out of it, right? So yeah. how, how do you balance those things so that the player actually is able to have success in games in the offenses that are now being run at those levels? Yeah, I think uh, first and foremost, it depends on the player. I think but everybody, you know, if they're great off the dribble, if they're great in ISO, they're obviously going to have a lot off the dribble. But for players entering the NBA, like if you just can't catch and shoot and make shots, you're in trouble. So most of our, most of our workouts are probably – uh, 67%. So two out of three, we're shooting threes compared to twos. Um, and then on that 67%, we're probably over 50% of that is catch and shoot. Um, and just working on different body movements and balancing and, and game situations. So finishing shooting from three, um, go back to the finishing. If you're finishing around the basket, you're also getting fouled, which makes you shoot free throws. Yeah. So how do you shoot free throws during workouts? Is are there ways to, to, are you doing high reps? Are you doing pressure situation where they're only shooting two and go? What, how do you, how do you teach those? We do simple, just like at the end of, of each shooting segment or ball handling segment, we'll shoot foul shots. And then from there, it's just, we just kind of go on the fly with it. So sometimes we'll go, okay, you got to make two in a row or three in a row. If you miss, there's a penalty. We'll do some where it's like, okay, you got to make three in a row, step away, then two in a row, step away. Then you got to make one. You know, if you miss that last one, there's a penalty. Um, I, I, I haven't been doing like a ton of penalties. And if we do do a penalty, it, it's mostly something with a basketball. Like we train a six eleven guy um, who's a high school kid who's got offers from all over the place. And so like when he misses foul shots and we add penalties to it, what we'll do is, we have two things that we do that are pretty cool. One will just be like a full court ball handling sprint and he's got to dunk it on each end and you know, we'll go four or six times. The other one we'll do is we'll put him underneath the basket and we'll put our uh, like a, a coach or a defender on him and they have to like battle for position without moving their feet for like two or three seconds. And then when we say go, he's got to raise up and dunk it. So mm-hmm. there's some sort of like physical consequence, but we add in the basketball part as well. Um, but we usually don't do that many like high reps like it's not like hey make 10 but there's got to be some pressure to it right i'm glad you said explained what penalty was i think we still have a lot of people still have in their minds penalty you run a ladder drill or you run a sprint or something like that the penalty is do more skill work and i think even sometimes that can be fun for the players yeah it is and and they know they're building up the skill work and and the penalty isn't like oh crap i gotta do this it's 
they're pissed they missed the foul shot. You yeah. know, that's, you know, that's really what it is. They shouldn't be like, oh, crap, I got to do, you know, more ball handling or whatever it is. They're mad that they, they missed the foul shot or they didn't reach their goal or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's good. Last thing, uh, I want you to talk about Dags basketball, what it is, yeah. difference maybe from what you're doing with some of maybe the, the typical basketball trainers. Um, but where can they find out more about that and what are you doing with that? Yeah, so Dags basketball is just the company that I started when I first started training. And there's kind of like two segments, right? There's myself as the trainer that, you know, I do all, a lot of like the NBA pre-draft stuff. We work with college guys. And then Dags basketball is more of like our sessions that are open to the public, right? So we do um, and I have a couple of trainers that, that work for me that do a lot of the younger players, but we do small group training. We do uh, uh, camps and clinics all up and down the East Coast. Um, and we work with players from like fourth grade all the way up through high school. The other thing that we do, um, which kind of separates us from other trainers, uh, you know, the training in industry is like super weird. I mean, I know you see <laughs> it like like you're on Twitter all the time. It's I was thinking about this the other day, like trainers just go at each other all day, every day about everything. Like, could you imagine, like, could you imagine like Mike Bray from Notre Dame, like yeah. going on and be like, Oh, look at this drill coach K's doing like, what an idiot. Yeah. Like, that's what we're doing. Like, what are, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, who cares what other trainers are doing? If they think that yeah. that's what players are, are, you know, are supposed to do to get better. And if they're having success, great. It's such a weird industry. But yeah. for us, when I first started, um, I, I, I started with small groups the second year that, that I was going, I hooked up with two high school teams. So I did team training for them. My dad's hmm. a high school coach in the area. His team actually wasn't one of the teams. It was two other teams. And those teams ended up uh, winning state championships, like the second or third year that I was with them, not because of anything that I did with them, right. but I think a lot of trainers struggle uh, working with coaches of yeah. all different levels, right? Mm -hmm. they, they're the ones, the trainers are the ones telling like, Oh, your high school coach is an idiot. He should be playing you more. <laughs> which is like crazy. So that's kind of how I got is telling is telling the player that your trainer is an idiot for teaching you that move that doesn't have any application to the games. Exactly. And it's yeah. like, yo, if you could just like work together yeah. for the betterment of the player, then the player would just be better off. So that's a great point. So our, a big segment of what we do is, is team training, um, hmm. younger teams, mostly high school teams, and then some college teams as well. And that's kind of how I got started in with, with USA basketball. Cause they're not big on trainers either because of the vibe, you know, mm -hmm. they want to serve their players and all that. And, you know, that's why I kind of say like, I'm more of like a basketball coach or a teacher rather than a trainer. Um, we You're an adjunct professor. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's, I love teaching. I love when players learn and they execute and they're the ones that deserve all the credit anyway. And I think with like a lot of trainers, like, yeah, you're running a business. So you have to promote um, what your guys are doing and show that you work with them. But really, at the end of the day, it's like if if I don't know if Luka Doncic just started working out with me, like does that make me a better trainer? Yeah. Like it 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 makes me seem like I'm a better trainer. Like you know he's he's great already, you know. And that's what happens a lot of time is you know these guys aren't developing players from when they're younger. Like you have an opportunity to work with players that are already really good, and hopefully you can add a little bit of value to their game, and then they can take it from there. So yes, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. I also saw, um, I don't know if you're still doing them, but the zoom stuff, I know a lot of people are doing that, but you yeah. know, what are you, are you, do you have any more of those plans coming up? Yeah. So I started those in March and man, they've been great. Just the ability to give instant feedback and the players are, are able to receive it and see them execute what we're saying has been awesome. So my plan was to go like March through June. And then, you know, in the summer we started doing more stuff outside and, and got to more like in-person groups and 
people still wanted to do the Zoom. So we've continued them. We've had great participation. We have about like anywhere from 50 to 100 kids that sign up per month for our Zooms. And it's 20 to 30 minutes. It's ball handling concepts. And, um, you know, we'll do some footwork and movement on there as well. And I think that that's going to be a part of um, training in the future for all different sports. You know, you're going to get parents that are already driving a million places already that they're going to have days where like, listen, I'm I'm not driving you 20 minutes to go work out. Like you're going to hop on the zoom and you're going to do your ball handling in the garage. You know, no different than what I did when I was younger. Um, I would do my ball handling in the garage. So um, I plan on keeping up with it. It's been great. And just continuing to adapt and find new ways to teach kids or uh, virtually. And if people aren't already connected with you so they can get more about this, where can they find you on social? Dags basketball on Twitter, Steve Dags zero on uh, Instagram. Awesome. A ton of great information. Coach, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. No, thanks for having me. This has been great. And anything you need from me, just let me know. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.